You're listening to a Monster Kid podcast. <laughs> We interrupt this broadcast to bring you this special message. How's it going, eh? Today's show on the Monster Kid Podcast Network is a classic. Hosted by two comedic geniuses who've watched way too much North American cinema from the 21st century. Mike Pisacano and Anthony Cilio. Entitled Cinemarketing, this podcast chronicles the heroic adventures of two latter-day consumers of film and the marketing surrounding them or, to use the correct 20th century terminology, losers. We hope you give it three thumbs up. Welcome to Cinemarketing. The trailers may have lied to you, but we won't. I am Mike of Earth, and who am I joined by today? Anthony of Italy. <laughs> and another worldly creature has joined us for this uh, special uh, episode. Oh, guess the creature. <laughs> <laughs> that was, nice. I didn't mean it like that. But like, yeah, no, he's big John Carter uh, fan, has a lot to say about this movie and its marketing and a lot to say about the history of the series and this movie. Cody, why don't you introduce yourself? Hello, I am Cody. Um, I am an ex kind of ex film blogger. I do stuff on Film Assist. I've written for the Random Movie Roulette website when that was up and running. He, so he was uh, he, you, you, were, you were really holding it down, keeping us together there. Uh, Rip RMR, did, did one out. A lot of work uh, on his part. He has a lot of dedication and passion, and uh, it's going to be shown in this episode where we're talking about the 2012 film John Carter, not called John Carter of Mars, which they could have called it, but they decided which they probably should have called it. They decided no, people don't like Mars. That was really their whole reason why of Mars needs moms. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> we'll get into all and of that. Ironically, they actually add of Mars to the title right before the at credits. the end of the movie yeah. it's like why it's like it's like dune part one like yeah. um so the movie is directed by andrew stanton who had previously directed finding nemo and wally and this was his live action feature debut and uh they also made it a point to to say that in the trailers because also around the same time brad bird uh, had his live action film with Mission Impossible Ghost Protocol and that was a big hit when that happened so I think it was just around this time where Pixar was giving their their animation directors leeway to make live action movies and it was a big hit with Ghost Protocol and then this one there's a lot of uh, there's a lot of history to this movie that I gotta say to. what a follow up to Ghost Protocol no, jeez <laughs> well yeah uh, so the movie uh, is a Disney property Disney film uh, released on March 9th of 2012 this is Wait, a, did they did they have like does Disney have like a special thing with Edgar Rice Burroughs because they did a couple Edgar Rice Burroughs uh, uh, Edgar Rice Burroughs is in the public domain so they could do whatever they want with it but them. it's weird that they keep picking Edgar Rice Burroughs yeah because it's in the public domain I know but okay anyway yeah. but he's also the, movie the stars, most influential person that runs sci-fi yeah fantasy. it's almost like they should make a movie about his properties yeah. <laughs> uh the movie's starring taylor kitsch lynn collins willem dafoe samantha morton thomas hayden church mark strong kieran hines dominic west and brian cranston fun fact for our show this is the second film appearance of willem dafoe uh the first one was spider-man Spider and then the third film appearance uh on the show by brian cranston previously on godzilla and drive so we're getting some uh some repeat show any, anyone who knew those movies before mike said them and you're a loyal listener and you knew we mentioned these other people dm us i'll give you a big yeah. smooch <laughs> We're going to start out by talking about the long and storied production history of John Carter, which 
dated way back to the early 1900s. Part one of the production history. 1912. Edgar Rice Burroughs writes the first John Carter book, A Princess of Mars. And also in the, the marketing of the movie, they tried to explicitly point out that this is that this movie would mark the 100th year anniversary of the John Carter series. So that was a thing that they were trying to play into as well. Yeah, they would always yeah, they, do something like 100 years in the making. They really kind of had to lean into the 100 year John Carter because I don't think I think they quickly realized that a lot of people didn't know that John Carter was an existing property. Yeah, because I think that the thing is, is that like if they call even if they did just call it John Carter of Mars, it's at least sounds like something more sci fi related where it's like John Carter just as a title, as a name doesn't really mean anything. It's like, who's John Carter? Is that like the janitor at the local high school? Is he the running back for the New York Jets? Like, who the fuck is John Carter? I like your examples, Mike. Very creative. <laughs> uh, in the 30s, Edgar Rice Burroughs' son, John, teamed up with Bob Clampett to pitch a John Carter animated series. And when we read this, Cody, I, I asked Cody, I'm like, wait, wait, Bob Clampett? Like, the Bob, the Looney Tunes Bob Clampett? Uh, yeah, and then so it was also as I said, an inspiration for Superman because in those early Fleischer Superman cartoons, he is known for jumping, which is what John Carter is, has been known to do. Is that, am I right well, on that? Not just for Did the you? cartoons, like in the actual comic origins, he couldn't fly, he could only jump. Yeah, yeah, you're right. Superman didn't get the ability to fly until later when they kind of had to give it to him. Yeah, but no, the, like you could see the roots for all of the things that John Carter inspired is Flash Gordon, Star Wars, Dune. So it's like they're that's the thing is that they they didn't realize that like so much of like sci-fi history, uh, it was predated by John Carter. So that's why when you watch trailers for the movie, even just visually looking at it, you're like, this just kind of looks like Star Wars. Like it looks like a ripoff, but like they had to try to like make people realize like, no, this, this was before any of that, but it's, it just kind of felt like they, they couldn't really hammer that in. Like it doesn't, it doesn't seem like that is a series was something that had lived through the cultural zeitgeist as much. What I do want to say though, Mike, similar to um, Valerian and the, city of a thousand planets or whatever that was called yeah, that, it, yeah. Like, it was a nexus within science fiction and inspired a lot of star wars just like john carter inspired a lot of star wars but when it came out after star wars people just couldn't recognize it as a, a source material and they only saw it as a knockoff basically yeah mike you know what i really would want to see though is apparently Ray Harryhausen wanted to make a John Carter movie in the 50s after Jason and the Argonauts. That sounds absolutely yeah. sick. I think that this movie actually, I would have liked to see what they could have done in like the 70s or 60s with this movie, like in that style. Like even if the visual effects look kind of hokey, like, yeah. I, like I saw the Richard Donner's Superman movie again, an amazing film. The special effects are very dated, but it's like, it's so charming that I don't care. Yeah. So it's like, I feel like even if we had cheesy 1970s effects with the movie, I think that it probably, I would have liked to have seen what that version of the movie looked yeah, like. And, and even earlier, even just earlier styles altogether, when we were watching this movie, I was making some comparisons to things like Ben-Hur because this movie, a lot of the pacing of it is very much, at least for the first half of the movie, very much an epic. It's very slow. It's very world building, just like all those old movies, Lawrence of Arabia, Ben-Hur, so on and so forth. Um, like just adopting any of those styles, I think would do this movie well. Hell, I'll see it animated. I think this movie yeah. animated could be cool. Do it like a uh, m one of those modern He-Man ones, you know, the like gritty He-Man movie yeah. that Kevin Smith did. 
I or whatever. Think, yeah, you know, I think what we were saying when we were watching the movie is that I think that this had potential that it could have been like a CG animated movie or a video game, but like, I don't oh, know, a video it, game. Most yeah, definitely. It, yeah. I just kept telling you this, this could be, this would be a better game than a movie. I think. Yeah, yeah. But yeah, I, and it also, it's kind of, uh, it's kind of shocking that they haven't tried to like recreate it in any other form of media. I mean, I guess because the movie was such a bomb that they just assumed that they just want to stay away from that property. But yeah, you also brought up that like even James Cameron had brought uh, had uh, taken in, uh, inspiration from uh, this movie for for stuff like Avatar, and they they kind of draw a lot of parallels to Avatar in uh, the mar- in like the marketing of the movie. Like we're gonna get to like a featurette where they talk about like how John Carter like you know it came before Avatar, but also how this is like the next IMAX 3D event like Avatar because it was like around that time, and John Carter was kind of like this iteration of the movie was greenlit in like late 2009 when avatar was released so it feels like that was what they were going for like most the, definitely easily yeah. avatar did gangbusters and every film company was like oh shit we need something this is the new thing 3d yeah. long you know sci-fi we need this yeah it's insane how far reaching the influence of john carter is uh, even like going back to Star Wars, like the Jedi and Sith, um, those words derive pretty much from John Carter stuff. Like the Sith are insect monsters that appear later in the books, and the Jed um, are monarchs of Mars. They even have something called a Padawan, which is a low-ranking official, which is basically what a Padawan is. So, like a lot of core concepts are transferred throughout other media, and it's just something that's kind of forgotten to history no yeah and and i think especially because of like the star wars movies coming out after it and that star wars terminology becoming so big that those words in this now also does kind of seem like it's a ripoff where it's like oh that sounds like jedi or that sounds like sith or padawan so definitely i mean mike uh according to this here disney did want to do this movie in like in what year in 86 to compete with star wars so, so this one, yeah. So in 19, 1986, Disney had optioned the movie to compete with Star Wars. John McTiernan was set to direct. What did he, who was he? John McTiernan directed Die Hard and Predator. Oh, okay. Um, and uh, Tom Cruise was set to be cast as John Carter. Julia Roberts was set to play Dejah Thoris, the love interest. And the movie was set to have a budget of $120 million, which at that point would have been the most expensive movie ever made. That's, uh, that's kind of wild. Yeah, so it's like understandable that like they didn't, pull the plug on it at that point uh so can you guys imagine a john mctiernan movie that's like not rated r and something this big i mean yeah especially for like a family friendly type of thing that i I assume that they would want it to be but it's one of those disney pulling up a weird experimental director in the 90s (laughs) john lynch directed a princess of mars imagine but Uh, so so in 93 McTiernan departs and then they bring in George R. R. Martin to do some revisions. And then uh, after they never really went anywhere with that, the rights reverted back to Edgar Rice Burroughs estate uh, after about 14 years after they they fumbled the ball for 14 years. My God, George R. R. Martin would have done this pretty well. I think I, I mean, I feel like, do you think that this could work as like an HBO series? Absolutely. It's like the books themselves are like 10 or 11 volumes in length. And it kind of goes through the 
maybe not the history of John Carter's family, but like I believe his um, offspring have some time, and there's also someone else from Earth being transported to Mars later on. So you could definitely do like a short series and a spinoff within the whole universe. You could definitely easily get eleven full HBO seasons out of this. Yeah, I also property. I also feel like that's kind of the way that they're going now. Like taking like a lot of these like big budget, high profile fantasy movies based on books from like the two thousands that were kind of bombs in theaters, and they're like remaking them as like HBO series or like streaming series, like they did with a series of unfortunate events and with the Golden Compass. So I feel like that's kind of the route that I feel like if we ever see this franchise again, it might come back in that capacity. Um, Okay, so in 2001, uh, James Jacks, the producer of The Mummy, convinced Paramount to buy the rights uh, for John Carter's series in 2002. The Mummy from Paramount and whatnot, like that was a major 90s movie that did a lot of money, a lot of wellness. Had a lot of James Jacks, the producer, decided, hey, why don't we do the same thing for John Carter? And it, like, if you go back and watch The Mummy, it has a lot of similarities in tone with what happened with Disney's John Carter. So you can see the parallels in that. Yeah, I, I could definitely see, like, the swashbuckling hero who's, like, kind of, who's, like, handsome and has, like, the hair. It's kind of like, like, even like a, like, kind of like Zorro. Uh, mm-hmm. Like, I feel like that's, like, the kind of, like, adventure movie that is trying to be called back to. Yeah, I can't wait till we get a, a, a Zorro remake. Can't do it without Antonio. <laughs> Yeah, so under Paramount, the original people attached was um, Mark Kodosevich, who wrote the Will Smith movie I Am Legend. And for director, they were they wanted Robert Rodriguez, another famous R-rated filmmaker who did like Desper- El Desperado. At, at that point, Dust Till Dawn would have come out. Yeah, um, that, that one too. It's... It's really interesting who these studios are going up to in John Carter, because they're not the people you would imagine. Like, I would think someone like Spielberg or someone within that Amblin family would take a shot at it. No, yeah, that certainly seems like it would be more fitting of the tone. Yeah, honestly, it's kind of cool to see, though, with movies that are this long in production, how the style of what they were going for rapidly changes over the decades by the directors they pick. So yeah, like, I remember yeah. when we talked about Spider-Man, like all of those iterations of of, of the first Spider-Man movie. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. So it's like what what like these would be totally different movies. Yeah. In 2005, Paramount was all ready to go all, put all their chips into this. And this was around the time that Sin City came out, which Robert Rodriguez was like massive cultural comic book movie shift with that and it included entire scenes of like cg sets and whatnot that he was going to use for john carter and then he got in trouble with the director's guild because he decided that frank miller decided deserved a co-director credit and uh he's not part of the dga the um, director's guild of america and paramount was like well robert rodriguez had to resign from the dga now we that, need a new director. And that, was, that is insane. That, that is insane. That doesn't even make sense. When you make comic book movies, your only point of reference is a comic book with panels made by a comic. If you are copying, if you are recreating panels on film, they they directed, they co-directed the film. They told you, they literally gave you the script. 
they wrote the script. <laughs> I mean, there's adaptation is that they, I, I mean, a lot of, I mean, you're getting the original writer is going to get a writing credit on the movie regardless, but a directing credit is, yeah, that's a thing that is it's like, not, I feel like, I don't even know. Was he even words, on, was he even, yeah, was he even on set for that movie? For I think City? he did do like some scenes. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, like, I don't know. I, that, that is absolutely insane. But the, does the DJ even matter? I mean, it's if a you, union, right? Yeah. Kind yeah. Of. It's a union thing. So, yeah. So, you this, can't, so this, you can't so just have a non, you can't just credit a non union rules. guy on a union job. <laughs> oh, that might be it. Yeah. No, that's exactly it. Oh. That's why. Oh. Um, yes. So, once that whole fiasco kind of blew up in Paramount's face, they're like, we need a new director. Why not get Kerry Conran, who directed Sky Captain of the World of Tomorrow, which, again, it, feels like something in a similar vein Very of John pulpy, highly cgi backgrounds yeah. yeah absolutely and they got the uh, script writer for screen three to come on and do rewrites and they wanted to do it like australian outback no digital stages and then they left because of course this is the rotating doors of directors and writers only to be replaced by none other than John Favreau who would go on to do Iron Man and Jungle Book and all sorts chef. of stuff in the ship in the ship yeah so obviously that didn't work out and Paramount decided to let the rights relapse and go back to Edgar Rice Burroughs Inc and whatnot so it was a very interesting time that we almost got a 2005 John Carter movie directed by Robert Rodriguez and or the person who directed Sky Captain <laughs> yeah no th- there's so many different like alternate universes of like what this movie could have been um, yeah it's it's wild <laughs> but yeah so then uh, Disney, uh, I think, yeah, around the time that Wally had just come out, Andrew Stanton had coming off of Wally, big animated sci fi hit, a masterpiece film. Uh, honestly, um, probably Pixar's best movie. Yeah. Uh, as far as just like, you know, f- uh, cultural film importance, like th- that, that, that is, that, that is the one, that is a Pixar movie where it's like, if I had to pick one movie to call art from Pixar, I think it would be Wally. 100%. Even though there are movies that I probably like more, like Toy Story and uh Oh yeah, and, and Inside Out. Even, but yeah. but no, but yeah, no, Wally that that is an art film. Uh and yeah. then so uh they tapped him and then they Disney acquired the rights to John Carter for the first 3 books uh around late in 2008 uh and had attached Andrew Stanton to direct. So now we are in the Disney creating this movie era. Oh boy. <laughs> for the Part second two. time. Get her out of here. No! Run, go. Go! You are John Carter of Earth? Yes, ma'am. John Carter in theaters and IMAX 3D March 9th. Disney has the rights to John Carter again. It has a very interesting time frame because during this 2009 era, Disney was deciding that they kind of want to buy Marvel, which was having success with Iron Man, Thor, Captain America and whatnot. And um, that is basically what their boy audience is going to be. And because of that, I think is one of the reasons why this made for boys film under Disney did not have the best oversight to begin with. Like a lot of people got 
free reign over it, not just because Andrew Stanton had good relations with the studios and whatnot because of Huawei and Finding Nemo and how much money they made. But like when they acquired this, no one knew what the budget would be. And one of the biggest critiques about this movie that I'm sure you guys I've heard about when it was leading up to the marketing was that it had an out of control budget that people did not know what they were doing, that people were extending the shooting and whatnot. So like, it's, it's a lot of miscommunication of what, how much money people are spending where, even though at the outset by 2009, when they announced the cast and whatnot, they knew exactly what how many days of filming, how many days of reshoots and whatnot would happen. They knew exactly how long it would take for the 3D animators to do everything. And they pretty much listed the budget as $250 million plus $100 million for marketing. Well, the problem well, is that was like all like the producer and Andrew Stanton and Disney themselves did not really want to acknowledge it and kind of allowed the myth of a runaway budget to be the focal point of the unintentional marketing around it. Yeah. And uh, I didn't mean to laugh there, but when you said $100 million budget for marketing, I'm just thinking, what did they spend it Where on? Where'd it go? Where'd it go? Yeah. It's did just Bob Iger spend it on blow. Like, I don't get it. <laughs> Yeah, we're going to get into, like, trust me, there's a long lead up to, like, all of the marketing uh, of this movie. You need to uh, understand the, the minimal amount that like, there like, was. The history just makes you understand how horrible, how could you fumble the bag so badly? Yeah, and, like, during the production of John Carter, not only was Marvel, um, Disney deciding to, like, have their eyes on Marvel and do a lot of their uh, focus in that direction, they were also like doing a lot of um, producer shifts and like rearranging people and whatnot. So the executive guy who like greenlit Andrew Stanton's uh, John Carter movie and said, yes, you may spend $350 million on this film was fired. And mm -hmm. um, the guy who was running the TV operations for Disney took his place and he was very much in the mindset of pleasing Bob Iger, who is like the head honcho of Disney. And he's like, Evil Bob man. doesn't want to spend all this money. I'm going to make sure that everything is limited. You guys can continue on because you're this far into production, but we're not going to give you any support with marketing or merchandising or licensing, which is pretty much a death sentence right there. No, yeah, and and I like that you brought up that they were that this was like Disney's play for boys because they have like their girl audience with the Disney movies and the anim like the princess and animated movies, and then like their boy properties. It's like now that they have Marvel and Star Wars because they also bought Star Wars in late 2012 and they bought Avengers. They bought Marvel in 2009, I believe. So yeah. like a, 2012 is the year that Avengers one comes out. So they have like their, that's their big, you know, ticket. And then they have star Wars. And now you'll notice that Disney, they don't attempt to make movies like this anymore. Like John Carter, Prince of Persia, Tron legacy. Like those were movies that have all like come out like previously of like Disney trying to corner a, like a live action boys market that has like a lot of action and adventure. And like, even like pirates of the Caribbean, like yeah. you could say that about, but yeah, now that they, Lone Ranger. 
yeah oh yeah and, no, and that this and lone ranger like lone ranger comes out the year after this and the lone ranger and this are like the nail in the coffin of disney taking like these big swings on trying to like take these kind of antiquated properties from like you know decades ago trying to reboot it for a modern audience with like some insane budget that is kind of almost in in a way kind of like alienating for like younger like viewers like kids are not gonna come see this movie yeah like it's like it just kind of see like they made it because they're like oh this is a property but they didn't know that like the property doesn't really have any sort of like cachet or following yeah nobody knew who john carter was um, the other thing I want to point out that I think is very interesting here is that there was no push to obtain merchandising before principal shooting even started. So this wasn't a result of, oh, this movie is not worth fun. You know, this movie sucks or we don't want this. Let's get before they even started shooting it. They're like, okay, we're not going to market this movie. Yeah, it, it just seemed like premeditated murder. Like Exactly. Yeah. That is exactly what it is. It is premeditated murder. And I think it's just John Carter was like in a very secure, small window in between Disney's reimagining of themselves that I think they were able to be safe. But because of that, Disney was like, we can suffer this loss. Oh, They're yeah. Disney. They they could, at, even at this point, at this point in, the, in their history, they could take a few risks. No, but that's the thing is that now they don't. Yeah. Everything they make now is so guaranteed success. All the Star Wars movies, the Marvel, the, even the, like their animated I stuff, mean, all I mean, of it is guaranteed success. They have not had a Mars Needs Moms or a John Carter or a Dinosaur or a Lone Ranger in years. I mean, they're getting, they're getting, I mean, I think they're kind of getting to that point, not to get too far into this, but, you know, the the especially the uh, Marvel TV series and some of the Marvel movies now, like, look at the newest Thor movie. It's like, you know, but it's still it's still it's made like, a lot of money. I think the closest thing that they have to a mi- early 2010s, like disappointment right now is probably Lightyear and Lightyear is still like making a decent amount of money for a regular movie. Yeah, I still haven't seen it. <laughs> and me. I usually see Pixar movies as soon as they come out. <laughs> it's not worth it and again it's another that is another thing where it's like this it's even though buzz lightyear is like you know a recognizable name and it's like but it's like nobody wanted to see this movie like this is not a movie idea that people wanted to watch (laughs) but yeah yeah so principal photography began early january or mid-january 2010 and um is right after avatar when uh they were also deciding to switch up their uh, marketing person. So the person they decided they had previously, they fired. And then for like several months, they did not have a marketing person until MT Carney came on board to be the president of that in April and whatnot. But because of that, basically the what Disney now does with like Star Wars and stuff, you like hear things as soon as they're uh, starting production. You see stills, you see behind the scenes, whatnot. None of that was here for John Carter. The only thing you really knew about John Carter at that point, not even that it went into production, was that the release date would be June 8th, 2012. Other than that, it was basically Andrew Stanton publicly saying that production was still ongoing in August 15th-ish until May 2011. So it's like basically... Within almost eight months, the only public marketing that has happened on this film that has been shooting, that has been in production, is the release date and the director saying it's in principal photography. Mom? Mom! 
on March 11th. I'm in a spaceship. Disney invites you to visit a world like nothing you've ever seen. Whoa. Meet a hero like no one ever expected. Oh, come on. And discover an adventure like nothing you ever imagined. Fire Blaster! Guys, I've got the ship under control. Needs Mars. Rated PG in theaters and IMAX 3D March 11. Let's talk about the fallout of Mars Needs Moms. Oh yes, that's important. Yes, uh, because like this is the. Can I, can I mention this point? Because I think yes. this is hilarious. So then, apparently, after that, um, John Carter got into release date first to March 9th, 2012, instead of June 8th. They pushed it back. Marketing went silent again, but then they decided to drop of Mars from John Carter of Mars because of the failure of the movie Mars Needs Moms. Disney literally thought it's like, ah, audiences must not like Mars. Yeah, that's not that's the problem with the movie, and not that it's horrifying and ugly and, and a, just bad and a stupid <laughs> idea for a movie that no kid would want to watch. But yeah, no, Mars is probably the coolest part of that title. Two Decided. boring white names and then Mars. <laughs> yeah. Like, yes, I'll take Mars, please. Yeah. <laughs> but not even that, but even of Mars needs moms. Yes, Mars is the more interesting part of that title. Sorry, moms out there of America, but you know, kids don't really want to see movies about moms. I'm sorry. It's not kids, kids want to see movies about Mars, not the thing that brought them into this earth. Yeah. Um, but but no, it's like it's like imagine if Ridley Scott a couple years later had to rename the Martian to just the <laughs> <laughs> the moon man <laughs> so before we that. move forward out of curiosity were you guys either of you at least heard the phrase john carter of mars before not, the movie not before the movie no. no i like to me this this seemed this was like you know again didn't seem like a something that had been around for years it just seemed like kind of like a new thing and i didn't really i i, I honestly i don't remember when this movie came out like i don't remember seeing anything about it i don't, I don't remember, remember seeing the trailer i don't remember it. seeing the trailer in theaters like i remember probably like you know seeing them like you know on youtube and stuff maybe but uh, and but i do not remember seeing like the trailers a lot i don't remember like because again, like the actors, like Taylor Kitsch, the lead actor, it's like he's he wasn't really a name at that point. So it's not like I would have known that, oh, this is the guy, this is the guy who's in this movie. Yeah. Yeah. And I all definitely. of the other bigger name actors, Willem Dafoe, they, he's he's a CGI character. So it's not even like he's recognizable visually yeah. in the movie. And this was also a time where a lot of these types of movies came out. So it just seems like another one of those movies, you know. Like action, they did the way they marketed Clash it. Clash of the Titans. Clash of the Titans. Exactly. Yeah. I thought it was one of those movies. Yeah, no. Clash of the Titans, the fucking the Prince of Persia movie. I think we you'll bring it up later that like, yeah, there's a lot of like visual similarities to the Prince of Persia. Yeah, a lot of sand. Now, yeah. yeah. <laughs> so D23 2011. And they show the scene there, John Carter's in the gladiator arena fighting the white ape. Which is honestly, they at least they knew what the coolest scene of the movie was. I mean, here's the thing about that scene is because that this ends up being like the cornerstone of like their marketing. Like it's on the posters. It's like it's on it's in every part of the trailers. Like it's kind of like the again, it's like the centerpiece of like what the movie is. And for a while, like there was before seeing this movie, I kind of thought that like the gladiator battle arena thing would be like the first thing that happens once he gets sent to Mars. Like he gets sent to Mars, he gets captured and then they put him in a gladiator arena. Like, I didn't realize it takes them until like the last 10 minutes of the movie to get to the gladiator battle. Yeah. And then they rush the climax after that. I was because once he gets to Mars, 
and I, I said this in my letterbox review, he gets captured so many times. And I was like, when are they going to put him in the gladiator arena? They, they chain him up. They put him in a cell. He breaks out. And then in, in 15 minutes, he gets captured again. It happens yeah. like three times in the movie. I also just, I have a confession to make because I just came to this realization. Um, when this movie was being marketed, um, until I saw it t- two days ago, I didn't know that he was on Mars. I thought he was just in a desert. Like, that's how bad this movie was marketed. I did not know that he was on Mars. No, I think that's also the other thing is like visually, it doesn't look enough like Mars. It just looks like desert. Yeah, like it, it looked needed, like it, make it look a little more red. That's I think, why I thought it looked just like Clash of the Titans. I'm like, this is just Clash of the Titans again, yeah. but by Disney now. So maybe that wasn't the best idea. Yeah. Um. So, yeah. They, so, so basically disney fired their entire uh uh, marketing team and and then (laughs) all of them and then specifically the marvel marketing team when they acquired marvel it's like oh why'd you get fired from your last job john carter the movie (laughs) yeah oh well actually it was because of the avengers specifically because um so basically disney bought marvel and Disney was like, hey, Marvel, you have your whole um, own marketing team for your movies. We're just going to cut everyone from there and use our own people. So basically, they took uh, people who could have worked on the marketing for John Carter and decided to have them push for the Avengers, which would have been the next big movie. No, but yeah, that, that certainly seems like yeah, early because Avengers came out in like early may so that would have been like that's like the big new property that we have to push john carter seems like it's the sacrificial lamb that we can bury and take a loss on uh in late 2011 they they start releasing movie posters and banners of the movie they make an effort to show like you know the big apes the the desert landscape and then riding those like big camel things i don't really know what they were called but yeah those are mostly all of the the movie poster images and then the tagline for the movie, lost in our world, found in another. And they also... Uh, Which also gives no hint that he's on Mars. Yeah. Uh, they also didn't uh, made an effort not to show uh, the female lead, Deja Thoris, because again, they were like, this is a movie for boys. We don't we want any girls in our boy movie. But, but don't they want to appeal to teen boys? Wouldn't uh, an attractive woman on the poster do that? Wouldn't that work? I don't, I don't, get, why, I don't get why they made that decision. Well, she is on one piece of marketing in the very background of one of the shots. You can barely see her, but she's there. Okay, that counts for something. It's like China putting uh, John Boyega at like the bottom of the Star Wars poster. We're just not putting him on it at all. So they had unveiled the first trailer on Good Morning America uh, on November 30th, 2011. It was a, a truncated 45 second version of the trailer. You are John Carter of Earth? Yes, ma'am. What happened in this place? A new power threatens to destroy our city. That don't look like a fair fight. You will fight for us! Get on. Not cause this, but we will end it. I was too late once. I won't be again. (laughs) 
they just showed like the, the gladiator battle, the ape fight. Yeah. And I also then, I also just want to point out if you have never watched Good Morning America, every video they show, they show like on the Jumbotron thing outside. So there were people there could be people standing in Times Square one weekday morning and just being able to see John Carter trailer in Times Square. Uh, Which also, what a weird way to release this movie, too. If they're going for a boy market, what boy is watching Good Morning America? They're in school. <laughs> they're not watching I this. The, um, I think the marketing plan for that was to get the moms so that who are like staying home watching Good Morning America. And then they're like, oh, my little son, Johnny, would like that. I, I guess I think it's a good marketing strategy, but I think that's yeah. the marketing strategy. Listen, if I was if I was 13 years old and came home and my mother told me I saw this movie on Good Morning America, I think you really like it. I don't think I'd see it just because she suggested it to me. I, or maybe it's just like, you know, the, the seed to implant in their mind where it's like they see that trailer on Good Morning America and then if their son comes home one day and they're like, I, I want to see that John Carter movie. And they're like, oh, yeah, I saw that on Good Morning America. I remember what that is, maybe. But then again, I don't know if this would have that much of a lasting impression because, again, it kind of just looked like know. everything else. My, my mother would just say, ah, commercial already. Yeah. <laughs> just get up. One thing that I would like to point out is the Japanese trailer, which it has an introduction by director Andrew Stanton to explain the history of John Carter as a book series and that this is its 100th year anniversary, uh, which is a thing that they did not bother to do for America. Oh, no, not at all. Hi, everyone in Japan. I'm Andrew Stanton, the director of John Carter. The story of John Carter is not new. It's a story that's inspired me at about the age of 11 and has inspired over 100 years of movie making. 2012 will mark the 100th anniversary of the creation of John Carter by an American writer named Edgar Rice Burroughs, who was also the creator of the iconic Tarzan. And I'm proud to be part of this 100-year milestone. To those of you that are familiar with my body of work, John Carter will be a very different movie-going experience, especially compared to previous projects that I've directed, such as the heartwarming animated story of Finding Nemo and the even more emotional tale of Wally. I'm very excited that John Carter is my first live-action film. The film's going to be released in Japan in April of 2012, but for now, I hope you'll enjoy the special Japanese trailer for John Carter. Because I think it's like, yeah, we needed that clarification that, like, what is this? Yeah. Like, it's based on a book that's 100 years old. And also, he's on Mars. Just tell people he's on Mars already. It does, I, I, this is the most baffling part of this. Like, how could you miss such a major plot point that should be in every piece of marketing? Not only that, but like in the section of the Japanese trailer where Andrew Stan's talking about the history of John Carter and Edgar Rice Burroughs, he also talks about how Edgar Rice Burroughs created two significant pop culture icons, John Carter and Tarzan, and Disney, who has a pretty uh, well-respected animated Tarzan movie, doesn't do anything with the fact that it's from the same person. Yeah, yeah. And also, I also just want to also point out, none of this marketing ever mentions that he's a cowboy either. Or that, or no, you know what else it doesn't mention? That he's a former Confederate soldier. Yeah, it that is the most insane part of the movie. Why? Where did that come from? Also, uh, uh, my friend Grayson, who he was previously a guest on our episode on Pirates of the Caribbean, The Curse of the Black Pearl. At our college, the uh, writer of the movie, Michael Chavon, did a Q&A interview after a screening of this movie at my college and Grayson asked him where did that decision come from to make him a confederate soldier and uh, apparently by his remarks he seems that he tried to dodge the question 
Well, I guess they could have changed it, but that's what he is in the book is that he was the book that was written in 1902. <laughs> yeah. yeah. It, it, it also, I think that could have also helped the marketing immensely too, because think about it. I, I know this is obviously very different, but space cowboy already has been proven that people love that. Look at cowboy bebop and stuff like that. Like that type of stuff but, sells. Yeah. But, but then again, just the year before this cowboys and aliens had come out and that was not a big hit. Like that was kind of a bit of yeah. a dud as well. Oh, that's a good point. Maybe they wanted to avoid that. Yeah. But uh, also I think, was there a part? Cause it, it felt like, cause he seems to be throwing fisticuffs with Brian Cranston. I think that they, did they try to make him like, like he was a deserter or that like he was trying to like leave the, the Confederacy or something like that. I don't no, remember. If this was, was um, after the civil war. And the union was trying to use him for um, some sort of strategy thing that they wanted. But basically, they were using their winnings over his failures to try and get him to be part of their caravan. Very um, odd thing to have in a Disney film, I must say. Yeah, again, it's a, it's a very it's a weird throwaway thing in the first 10 minutes of the movie. And you know what else? I think this might be jumping ahead a little bit, but they at one point, like I think maybe a week or two before the movie, released the first 10 minutes of the movie on YouTube. And it really it's just the earth stuff in the desert, which I which, liked. Yeah, but it's I also think it's just like it's lot, not really good. the thing to sell the movie with. Oh, yeah. Because it's, it again, looks it, like it's a different it movie. boring. Like it makes the movie look like it's like a boring adult movie. Yeah, like, it's it's very odd, which kind of makes sense that how in 2012, after all of this went down, uh, MT Carney left like just up and left. Was that the final nail in the coffin, Cody? Was that like, did they not have a marketing team anymore? Uh, they did. So MT Carney left technically at the end of 2011 and they announced her leaving early January and then mid January, they had someone take over her instead. So basically um, a lot of stuff she was working on did not pan out. She was also like had a family in New York when she was working in California. So she wanted to be with them. And eventually she was like, fuck it. I want to be with my family. And yeah. So that just so happened to coincide with a month before John Carter's release. Honestly, it doesn't sound like a hard decision. It's like, hmm, my family, John Carter. Hmm. Nah, yeah, I think she, I think the obvious choice was made. Fate has brought you here, John Carter. We did not cause this. But this very night, we will end it. In theaters and IMAX 3D, March 9th. Go to NFL.com slash John Carter and enter March 9 for a chance to win tickets to next year's big game. <laughs> so we're coming down to the wire. We've got about a month or two out from this movie's release date. And at the 2012 Super Bowl, they uh, have an ad for John Carter. And I think I told you guys this uh, off mic beforehand, but this might be the worst commercial for any movie I've ever seen in my life. It it, it starts out gamble for them. Yeah, no, and especially because of the amount of money that you're spending on Super Bowl ads. They're about like what three million dollars, I think, for just this year for sixty seconds. They yeah, this they, one was three and a half million. Yeah, they the trailer starts. It's like it starts out with a shot of the movie, and then it just zooms out, and then you see a mosaic of a bunch of different other clips being 
filled out in the block letters that spell out John Carter. It's literally an iMovie effect. Yeah. Like it's it's horrible. Yeah, but it's also another thing. It's just like a mishmash of random unconnected sci-fi glop that I have no idea what it is. And well, it's that a sweepstakes. It's, yeah, yeah. Please, yes. Tell us that so, part of the story. <laughs> um, Disney's brilliant idea was to release a John Carter trailer during the Super Bowl, where, like we all know, millions of eyes are on it. It can make or break a marketing team. Basically, like it is, they are very hungry dog. They're drooling at the mouth kind of opportunity, and they Disney decided to do a sweepstakes where within that John Carter ad where they do all the mosaics and the clips and whatnot is a uh hidden uh qr code i I don't think it was a qr code but it was like some sort of hidden code that a fan can find and if they do that they can have the potential to earn a trip to the next super bowl but because of that it took 24 ish seconds for the entire sweepstakes section and then after that, they would have the John Carter trailer. Now, Disney is banking on that 60-second ad so that they can have like 35, 36, whatever seconds of pure John Carter trailer. And the rest of it will be the sweepstakes. But as we all know, football games are very nebulous when it comes to time. And when it comes to marketing, you have a 30 second spot and you have a 60 second spot. And depending on how the game goes, you can have a 60 second spot be downgraded to a 30 second spot, which is exactly what happened with John Carter, where the sweepstakes, which was non-negotiable at that point, it needed to be in the trailer, took up the majority of the 30 second spot they had. And for five or six seconds, you had glorious white ape action before it cut (laughs) yeah what so jesus (laughs) no it just seems it was 24 seconds of john carter mosaic zoom out so you could find the little fucking hidden code and then they're like oh shit we only got six seconds left throw white ape footage in there and that's it that's it that's our super bowl it's unbelievable yeah it, it really is just like I don't know what did they advertise that there was a sweepstakes? Did people know what to look for? Did anyone win this? If anybody listening has any information on that or hell, if you are the winner of the sweepstakes, let us know. So, yeah, yeah, um, fans of John Carter were not happy about that, understandably, since they only had five or six seconds of reused footage on one of the biggest nights of marketing history. So the John Carter Twitter account decided to release the full 60 seconds after that. And obviously we know Twitter is a void, a black hole of void in this. And um, the Twitter account wasn't doing well before. Like, I'm pretty sure there was like four to eight posts within the last year of that. So it's like, it wasn't like they had a following there. It was just a way to get the 60 seconds spotlight out there because of that the um very talented michael d sellers he is the guy who wrote john carter and the gods of hollywood which is the book i used primarily for research on this episode uh he also runs a john carter fan site and did a lot of other stuff that you probably have heard of before but 
he was a super fan of John Carter. He is a super fan. And because of the disappointing uh, Disney Super Bowl trailer, basically, um, he's like, fuck it. I'm going to make my own fan trailer and release it. And he did. And that got more attention than any of the other marketing that Disney had done. Some schmo, some John Carter fan schmo on the internet did better marketing than a multi now billion dollar corporation yeah. and wrote an entire book about it. It's that's incredible. No, but that's also that might be the most significant piece of, of marketing about the movie is that book that you read. When you said that you were reading that book, I was like, okay, that needs to be an episode now because I want you to actually. When we get the chance, I want you to tell us all of the findings that you had in this book. I'm pretty sure that you already put it all in the doc, but like if you could just give us some of the highlights of like, oh, yeah, like I like your favorite, your favorite moment. I decided not to go nitty gritty on the doc of information. And like Michael Sellers goes into very, very in deep depth on how many articles were published between like Hunger Games, Avengers and John Carter and broke down the amount of activity on certain websites and stuff that I just decided not to include for time's sake. But it is um, it is basically a cinema marketing's wet dream of a book. I would like to read this. Yeah, I'd like to read it as well. I'm definitely because I always talk about these. We always talk about these like failed productions, like these like like disaster productions, like Cleopatra and stuff like that. Where like I want to read a book about that. I want to see a movie about it, like uh, or like the jo- the Justice League movie or like the Fantastic yeah. Four. Like I'm like I'd read a book about those. This book exists. I'm, I I'm like I have to read this. Yeah, I want to. I want to see. I I really like just little tangent. But one of the reasons to do this podcast is I love for some reason, movies, things about tortured productions, like reading about like productions of like Cleopatra and stuff like that, just like horrible reading the disaster artist. Like that's, that's the type of stuff that Hollywood needs to do more of. I want to see movies about these productions. No, Hollywood ain't going to tell them themselves like that. They're not going to like put their asses out on, on God forbid they do something cool for once. (laughs) Um, So yeah, so you, you, uh, then I think you put out that, Andrew Stanton uh, had retweeted that trailer, the fan-made trailer, to give it yeah, some good publicity. Like, and that's basically the... It's wild to think that Andrew Stanton did more for the marketing than the actual marketing department on this film because he was, like, tweeting stuff. He answered interviews. He was retweeting fan trailers and stuff. Like, the Michael D. Sellers fan trailer is the first time that any trailer said from the director of Finding Nemo and Wall E. Oh, well, it makes sense. Andrew Stanton, pretty keen old man. Yeah, no, but, a... but it also, it just like, yeah, I guess like for a main Hollywood, it's like it's not a selling name. Like people like Finding Nemo and Wall E, but they're, they're associated as being like kid movies. And if you're trying to sell like this, like PG 13 action sci fi movie, like I can, un- I, like you could see like they didn't want to like, put those movies in association but at the same even though time they're the, masterpieces they're yeah, incredible yeah, films, I was gonna say, but, at the same time you're not getting that team market but you're it's the director of two masterpieces like why would you not lean on that you you, you they they lost sight of what really mattered at the end getting butts into seats a week before the movie comes out they release the first 10 minutes online that's okay. a kiss that's the kiss of death Whenever I feel like whenever a movie does that, it's a bad sign. Yeah, I mean, even though like a lot of big movies do that, like I think Spider-Man No Way Home, they they did that. They did that for um, what? I was about to say, like, really? They they did that? 
Yeah, I remember like the was or at least like the first five minutes or something like that. They 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 did that for they 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 do that a bunch. When I saw you, I believed it was a sign that something new can come into this world. Part four, nail in the coffin. Yeah, I love these titles, Cody. And this is like, I think this is my favorite section, even though it's like minuscule compared to what we've been doing for the last hour. But it's my favorite section because it's like, well, it's basically the conspiracy section because 10 days into John Carter's release, after a mid of like months and months of film critics saying like, this is going to be bombs. This is going to be like the biggest bomb in Hollywood. No one's going to watch this and whatnot. Like Andrew Stanton is the first person from Disney to say that they did not have a ballooned uh, budget and like the production was not out of control. And that was in February, like a month before the movie released. And the whole narrative of out of control and too much money being spread was not discussed at all with Disney. Like Disney decided to step away from that conversation. So did Disney and to just make matters worse in the foot again? Did they just shoot themselves in the yeah. foot again? No, this all feels that? like damage control. He's like, no, no, the budget wasn't two hundred million dollars. It was like <laughs> yeah. The, the director of finding Nemo would lie. Well That's they're saying right. like the thing is, um, the whole controversy is that it's not that it was greenlit with that much money. It was that it was accumulating that much money through out production. Like it was smaller and then it grew and grew and grew, which was not the case. Like the um, controversial number is the number they decided on when it was greenlit. Everyone just thought that it was growing. Uh... And that was like the first time that the director came out and said, no, the production is the same as when it was greenlit, which basically means nothing when you had months and months of film reporters saying this is a runaway production. This is going to be a disaster. And like, There's not much you can do with that. And to make matters worse, 10 days after the movie is released, not even two weeks into its full outreach, it didn't even like go into big territories like china like they had no other releases this is like super early into its release disney decided to announce that it was a 200 million dollar write down due to poor performance after 10 days well yikes well i mean yeah because usually that's usually when you're making the most amount of your money and if you could see that this movie is not breaking the 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 worldwide numbers that like it needs to be or if it's even on track it's like at that point it's like there's no hope that like oh it's gonna have legs it's gonna come back and it'll make back that additional 300 million dollars worldwide that we need it's just like you know it's not making it (laughs) but china is like the biggest territory outside of the u.s for disney and like it wasn't even released in there disney like i think this statement is the biggest highlight of this entire production of Disney not giving a fuck about this and decided it was a write off the moment it was greenlit. No, it certainly did feel like an effort to like wash their hands, especially of, of the idea of having to do any sequels because there were some, uh, some scrap sequels that we, uh, that we have that we only this year have gotten any word on, which the timing on this pretty extraordinary that at this year's comic-con San Diego comic-con 2022, Andrew Stanton, has a panel 
where he breaks down what the John Carter trilogy would have been. And the sequels would have been called Gods of Mars and Warlords of Mars. And when you sent me this, like the week before we were about to do this episode, I was like, wow, what amazing timing that this is what they what, that they decide to announce this. Because I think at this point, the movie is about to, is 10 years old. It's like had its 10th yeah. year anniversary at this point. And yeah. I feel Christ. like there, no, I feel like there have been a lot of like reappraisals, like articles and reappraising the movie as being like some hidden gem that was fucked over by bad marketing and like had unfairly judged for that. And I could see like, yeah, I know that this movie has like, you know, a, a cult fan base. Um, so it does seem like this would be the time that like to announce those things. But now it's like just like, well, they're not going to happen now. So it's like, what's the point of even bringing it up? Yeah, yeah. I, I think these would have bombed even worse because they sound like they're not even related to John Carter because the first one didn't have Mars in the title. And now these ones don't have John Carter in the title. Yeah. They're still fumbling the bag. So there's two fascinating theories that Michael Sellers talks about in his book, John Carter and the Gods of Hollywood, that make complete sense in my mind that I just find fascinating. And the reason being attributed to the 10 days of Disney saying, yeah, let's just get that off our checkboard is because it was early enough in quarter two of their investment section that when it comes to the end of quarter two when they're doing the whole investor meeting they don't need to talk about john carter they already had the bad publicity they already had the publicity go through and maybe a few more bad publicities so now they don't need to even mention it at their board meeting and between um that section disney has been trying to acquire star wars and earlier in the episode one of you guys talked about how it did acquire star wars very recently after this movie. And um, it was actually announced in October of 2012, which was 10, nine months from John Carter's opening. And um, when that was announced, Bob Iger did say that negotiations for Star Wars began around six months ago, which would be between the uh, $200 million write-down notice in the quarter two investor meeting. So not only was like the write down a way to get bad publicity away from the investors, but now the head of Disney can be like, hey, we had something bad happen, but here is Star Wars. Yeah, just again, like a lot of like damage control to try to like, you know, salvage a brand or to salvage their their image and also but to like keep the the fan engagement. Because I remember when Star Wars, when they announced that they bought Star Wars, like that was like a cultural event, like hearing that Disney. Yeah, that was that was wild. Uh, And and life got worse from there. Yeah. And then I think the only one that even competes is when they bought Fox. That that that's when life ended. Yeah, that's when the that's when the world died. Yeah. Um, I was like the minute I found out the Simpsons and Mickey Mouse had the same owner. I was like, ah, you know. You can't you can't win them all, can you? Yeah. And then, and honestly, like the only like I said, there's no video games, there's no Happy Meal crossover. No toys. Happy Meal Happy yep. Hour this episode. Yep. I'm so disappointed because yep. no we didn't bro- have one last time, did we? No, we. Ha- I mean, there. It's been a while since we've had one. I'm not a lot, like you know they didn't have Happy Meals in the 30s, the so we didn't have one. Need, the next movie needs to have a Happy Meal tie-in. Or I'll make it happen for you. Thank you. Uh, but but yeah. So the only bit of like cross promotional material that they had done for this movie was that they had released like an omnibus of the John Carter books leading up to the release of the movie 
Are those good releases, Cody? Do you have them? I see them on your shelf. So I have the first volume, which collects the first three books, um, which are A Princess of Mars, which is what John Carter is based on. And then um, Gods of Mars and Warlord Warlord of Mars, which is what the sequel titles were called. So um, this is basically the... It's a soft cover. Did they release it in hardcover too? Uh, no, they don't. There's a uh, Barnes and Noble release of a hardcover, but Disney themselves did soft covers. But it's a really nice community, I think. It has um, I don't know what it's called. It's not embossing, but like the Martian tattoos are all on this in nice shininess. It has some new um cover art of John Carter and the animals, and um, yeah, I can see it really in your well video. Done. I can see in your video. So, like, it looks like a very high quality. Book. Yeah, it's so very like well each made. One has a little thing like that for the books. Oh, that's cool. So it's like a really cute release that I think Disney. I think this is one of the best things Disney did during the John Carter era was just releasing the books because a this is a hundred year old book series that doesn't really get a lot of do. Like you're not really seeing that being reprinted across other companies so having this plus two other volumes to have all 10 or 11 books is just a fantastic price it might have just even helped two things one i think it's kind of good in retrospect looking at this because it's in the public domain it probably didn't cost them much to get those printed and second i think it actually probably would have helped to find some kind of way to release it before the movie like way before, few months. Yeah. Give it time. This was released time in January, people, I think. No, like if you, I, I know Disney must have had a book in print. They must have released John Carter as a children's book. You know how good children's books could catch on. You got Hunger. This is the this is the era of Hunger Games and um, you know things like that that started as books, got very popular, and then got a movie released. Right, go the Harry Potter route. Why would they? Why would Disney not tie their name to John Carter? They bought it, but just pay the estate tie your name to it, release the books as a new child, young adult novel, people read it, and then you release a movie. I think it would have done so much better then. All right, so now we're moving on to my favorite part of uh, cinema marketing, the critics' reviews. Oh, boy. Rotten Tomatoes. This movie has a 52% on Rotten Tomatoes with 124 fresh and 115 rotten the critics consensus reads while john carter looks terrific and delivers its share of pulpy thrills it also suffers from uneven pacing and an occasionally incomprehensible plotting and characterization i feel that 1000 yeah. i could not tell what was happening in this movie i didn't know it's any just of the because lore. all of the they all have alien fake yeah. names all they're the, hard to pin all of the lore is very dense and not accessible and a lot of the gleep glop alien language and like the alien names and stuff just gets very convoluted. And it's hard to keep track of like who's fighting who, like what faction are we fighting for? Like, what does the villain want? Like, it's just, it's a very, yeah, it's just, it's just kind of muddled. And it's, it's, it's not very, it's not, it's not yeah, a very accessible movie for the uninitiated. The story is the movie's weakest point. Honestly, because yeah. visually it was okay. I think the set, I mean, like you said, it didn't look a lot like Mars. I agree with you, but I think the, and the CG was very of its time, but for the time it probably looked fine. Cinematography in a lot of scenes, there were a lot of sprawling uh, landscape shots that looked very, very good. 
like this movie, there were certain scenes in this movie where I said, you know what? I this will look cool in IMAX. So they did that well. Um, which is also interesting in the marketing. They don't really push the fact that it's an IMAX three or three D a lot, even though they kind of did at one point want this to compete with Avatar and be the new Avatar. It's very odd that they didn't make that a focal point of the uh, marketing like Avatar did. No, yeah, it's yeah, it seemed like again after a while they just kind of forgot about it. like they realized that this wasn't going to be the next big multi million dollar franchise hit like Avatar was. I feel like it would have been good damage control though when they realized that it's like okay, be very sure to say it's an IMAX 3D. But even though like in 2012, like that year the the can't miss like 3D experience was Life of Pi. That kind of ended up becoming like that was like the you got to see these the the visual effects work the IMAX uh, 3D. I mean, an Avatar was too. No, exactly. No, but that's a yeah. Yeah, but that was the more recent one. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And no, I hear you. Uh, I think it's pretty fair. Mostly, like this is exactly what I would expect critics to come out and say it. Like almost anything that's genre, even if it's like a bad world building they have or uh, even if it's like an easy storyline everyone will say that it's pulpy and incomprehensible and whatnot and it's just what i would come to expect i think i think that pulpiness kind of seems like it's one of the more positive qualities of the movie and that's kind of seems like that's what seems to be like at least a shared like redeeming factor of the movie yeah i think like i said i would have been more for like a kind of cheesy 70s sci-fi movie yeah whereas like this and it does kind of just feel very like post 2010s like avatar-esque kind of heavily cgi like big world building thing so metacritic got a 51 out of 100 16 positive 20 mix 7 negative the best review the achievement of john carter is that it takes the elements worn to nubs by everything from star wars to avatar to tv's fringe and makes them fresh again says mark holcomb of the village voice 80 out of 100 and the worst review as film theorist siegfried krakauer once wrote to paraphrase art often blooms in the most hostile soil no such luck here says jamie l chrysley of slant 12 out of 100. I got to say, Mr. Jamie Chrysley, that is the most pompous review I've ever seen of anything. That review called me poor in 10 different languages. <laughs> <laughs> like I said, like it's, it's just kind of one of those things where it's like uh, sand, soil, like kind of make a pun about it, about how it's bad. Like it doesn't really, like I said, I'm probably more inclined to re- agree with a negative review of this movie than a positive one, but that's just kind of like, not really. At least Mark Holcomb sounds like a human being. Yeah. Like, I can only guys. Like, I I have more respect for somebody who likes this movie because it's like you know it's this big sci-fi epic and the world building and stuff like that. Like if you're into that, that's cool. I don't really agree, and I'm sure, but I'm sure also that's how probably Cody feels about the movie as well because I know you really like this movie a lot. So yeah, I, I want to go. Yeah, before we before we exit out of the critic reviews, I think we said what we have to say about the movie. John, uh, Cody, I want to hear like what what is your opinion on the on John Carter as a movie? So basically, everything you said you didn't like about it is why I love it. Oh, to polar so, like, opposite. So first off, like regardless of what you think of John Carter, I think it was a successful display of an animated animation director switching to live action. I think Andrew Stan did a really good job of making sure that everything he needed in the film was there and he like got it out on time and there wasn't anything 
seriously wrong with the project production. It, it seemed by all merits that it went smoothly. So for an animated director to go into live action, I think it was a success, regardless of what people thought about it. No, I, I could certainly see like, it's a big undertaking, like a big scope that like, you know, having someone who's primarily, I mean, this movie has a lot of animation in it. So it seems like it's probably, you know, an area where there'd be, you know, at least a little bit more accustomed to, but uh, no, like I, I can see it is a big leap and I, I can respect that. I see um, what you did there. Big leap. <laughs> I mean, I don't really, I think, how do we think about the effects? Cause I think that, I think for, like I said, for the time, they were probably okay. They were probably passable. I don't think they were good at that time. They were probably passable. Now they look like a PS3 game. I don't want to say a PS2 game. That's a little mean. It looks like a PS3 game. I will. Say- I actually think they hold up more than that because I-, I think the um, the motion capture they were doing with the Tharks looked really good, and how you can see like their musculature underneath their skin. Yeah. I was like, especially like the shot that's almost in all the trailers is when Tars Tarkas comes out and he's like just opening all four arms to the sides and you can like see his bone structure underneath yeah. that. I think that is very successful. Well, well I think surprised at let, how well it uh, held yeah, up. Think, let me let me let me rephrase that. I think the CG on the aliens looks fine and remind me a lot of Halo. It, I think it looked really good there. I thought the ships looked pretty good. The problem is whenever they did CG on John Carter himself, like when you'd see the faraway shots of him jumping, it, I don't know, maybe it's because we were watching it in like 4K, you know, large scale. Like maybe that's why, yeah. but it just I can looked, see that. It yeah. looked like a, that's what looked like a PS3 yeah, game. I also think that a lot of like the the CG whenever like the during the action scenes, like the the fast pace, like it looked a little a little, a little choppy. Like I said, it, in moments where they like they simmer down and they and like you know you're watching the aliens like talk and it's stuff like that, it looks fine there. But I think a lot of like the fast paced action is when the CGI starts to look a little bit wonky. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Mm-hmm. I can see that too. Like there were definitely spots where I noticed the CG was completely not up to par. Like when John Carter is in that infamous white ape arena with Tars Tarkas and he's trying to pull out the chains from the rock that rock looked incredibly ugly when he finally undid it and broke it and stuff like it that yeah. I agree looked like a PlayStation 2 graphic but um, where it counts I think it still holds up yeah I, I think also yeah a lot of the jumping also it kind of reminded me of how like in the Wonder Woman like uh, when she whenever she just was like, not as bad as Wonder you could Woman. see like the like the like almost like the CGI, like the zooms of like the 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 quickness with which he leaps off of the ground, where it looks a little too like oh that was an effect. But yeah, anyway. Um. So now the big killer, uh, the box office of this movie on opening a, weekend. On its opening weekend, the movie made thirty million dollars, and it came in at uh, number two. Oof. And then remember, this is January, so thirty yeah, million March, net number, number two, one. Or March, number sorry. one was the Lorax in its second weekend. Yeah, movie. Yeah, not a not a great time for how bad ad can you be? (laughs) And also, the movie opened out on the same uh, opening weekend as uh, Silent House, which is a uh, found footage horror movie starring Elizabeth Olsen. Which was were we past those in 2012? No, this was when they were like this is when this was their peak. Then, but no, it was number five, and then at number six, released against a movie called A Thousand Words. That's the Eddie Murphy movie. That's the Eddie Murphy movie. Oh my god! Uh, I mean, you want to? I mean, 
honestly, I think John Carter's counting its blessings that its box office wasn't as much of a failure as a thousand words. Yeah, wasn't that movie recorded in like I heard that movie was like, shot and completed in like 2008 or oh, 2009. Yeah. It just sat on a shelf for like three years until they said, oh, wait, we got that Eddie Murphy movie. Put that out. Yeah, it's horrible. It's a terrible film. It's yeah, wonder, it makes you wonder why it was shelved. <laughs> yeah. Of course, the budget of the movie, like as he said, uh, about approximately $350 million for this movie with when one marketing is included. It's total domestic gross. Let's pour one out. It's $73 million. Ooh. Couldn't even crack $100 million in America. And its total worldwide gross was $284 million. Couldn't, couldn't even break even. No, yeah. I mean, this was like well below cracking even. Yeah, like that. Like there's been tons of reports talking about how to be successful or to even break even, this film needed seven hundred million. Yikes! Yeah, I mean that's also why I can imagine why Disney like foretold that this was going to be a bomb because if they know that that's the number they have to hit, they know like we're not hitting that with this movie. Like even before like pen goes to paper, like. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so then this movie was released on uh, home media. It was released on Blu-ray and DVD on June fifth of twenty twelve. A very quick turnaround, but then again, we're used to that nowadays. Movies come out like three months after they're not on. Not even sometimes in a couple weeks. Yeah. They're on they're sometimes they're on streaming on the same day. I miss when you had to wait like a year to get a movie on yeah. VHS like back in the day. Yeah. But you said that this was the number one home media seller for the first week of its release. So it seemed like it at least it has that sold to- all the Family Guy season DVDs. <laughs> and this also movie was also released on 3D Blu-ray. And Cody, do you have this uh, 3D Blu-ray? Because I know you're a proponent of 3D Blu-rays. Shockingly, no. What? But I know where to buy one, and I'm planning on it later this month. Nice. Are you a collector of 3D Blu-rays, Cody? I am. I How have, many do you have? Um, I recently did a list of them. So do you use a cataloging app where you like scan the barcodes? Uh, no, I just use the, um, I just use Excel on it, but I have, you should make a letterbox list of them. You should honestly make a letterbox list of my 3d Blu-rays and you should use it not to rate the movie itself, but to rate the quality of the Blu-ray. I actually do have that. I have a list that I've, I need to update, but whenever I watch a movie in 3d, I give it like an ABC kind of rating and I find out if it's, um, in conversion 3D or native 3D. Dude, if you copy and paste that into Letterboxd reviews, I will follow you. That sounds sick. (laughs) So yeah, I own, physically own, 118 3D movies. That's more movies than I own, period. There's more movies than than are on your Plex. (laughs) Yeah, honestly. (laughs) Yeah, so John Carter will be 119 soon. I'm 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 hoping for the best for you. I I want you to I want you to own every movie, uh, 3D movie in existence. Yeah, I'm with you. That's a tall. Uh, that's a tall order. I know. Uh, but yeah. So for this week's poll question, we decided to go through like the storied history of John Carter as a film and all of the failed uh, attempts to bring it to the big screen. Out of all of the ones that we had talked about, which one to you sounds the most interesting and which one would you want to see? Well, yeah, I'm just going to list them out here, right? So we had Raymond Lake, Lake Tashir or whatever his name is. Then we got John McTiernan. We've got uh, George R.R. R. Martin. We've got uh, James Jacks, who directed The Mummy. And then we got Mark Protest. Well, we got name? Robert Rodriguez. Robert Rodriguez. 
doing yeah and then yeah so of all of those movies which one sounds the most interesting i think that the ray harryhausen movie sounds good I yeah i agree that, harryhausen I think, I think that as a 70s pulpy movie like i think that this would have worked like in that style of like clash of the original clash of titans jason and the argonauts i think this probably would have been a lot more uh charming like that one thousand percent yes i need stop motion john carter in my life <laughs> i love that i'm gonna go further back and say bob clampett Oh, yeah, the Bob Clampett short. Forgot about that one. Because I think not only would John Carter be really fascinating in 30s animation, but I think that could have recontextualized the entirety of John Carter history. If it was Fleisch, if it was Fleischer, I'd say that. I would say I want I would want an animated Fleischer cartoon of John yeah, Carter. Because like I feel like even if Clampett did that, like it probably could have had like the same effect as the Fleischer Superman cartoons. Oh, easily. Definitely. If it was done well. And I, you know, we're talking about Bob fucking Clampett here. I think it would have done pretty well. And I got to say, yeah, Fleischer Superman, one of the most Kino things that's ever been made. Absolutely incredible. Did you see the, I don't know if this is the one they showed at the Alamo, but there was a, a re, I don't know if, and I think it was fan done, but they used AI to upscale them to 4K. They look unbelievable. Like, the nicest animation I've ever seen in my life. I no. Yesterday I went to go see Superman at the Alamo, and before the movie, they showed uh, a bit of a Fleischer Superman. And seeing that in a theater, I'm like, I am in the 30s right now. This is perfect, <laughs> amazing. So yeah, so that's our our question of the week. What is which version of John Carter would you have most wanted to see? And now let's get to our our rating for the movie and the marketing. Oof. Let's get the marketing out of the way right now. I'm giving it a fucking one. Yeah, this no, was this, bad. This no, this is the definition. Uh, like I, there were there were some movies that we had done previously where it's like like almost one sounds a little too mean we did kangaroo jack that was like the first one like one out of ten that we did there were and some i others. think it's for the same reason i'm giving this one yeah there, there was there were some where i flirted with it but i was like i don't know if it deserves it like i remember looney tunes back in action and the hunchback in notre dame we like i'll give it a two because of this or whatever this is a one out of ten marketing it is the definition of killing a movie with by lack of marketing lack of just any sort of sense of like what people want to see in movies and, and also just intentionally doing a bad job. Like, and, and also making the movie look bad. Like, it, yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's, it, it, you know, you hear a lot of um, conspiracy theories. You don't have conspiracy. You always hear the story of like um, treasure planet and how Disney sabotaged that movie. Talk about John Carter, man. This, this, this movie just had it out from the get go. It didn't even get to production before they were like, yeah, this is going to be a piece of shit. I'm going to go controversial and say two out of ten. Hold on. Hold on. Point. Wow. Oh, because as much as they fumbled the whole advertising and whatnot, they did something right in the fact that after all that fumbling, I wanted to see it in 2012 and I went to see it and I enjoyed myself. Otherwise, I probably wouldn't have seen it. So I'm giving them one one piece of credit so one point for that and one point for the re-release of the book yes what what ironic meme point Uh, (laughs) but yeah no this uh this is historical and this is kind of like back to the basics of like what this show is supposed to be about like i feel like there were a couple episodes recently where like we just felt like doing a movie that we liked and just incorporated the marking into it this is a movie 
its reputation is based on its marketing. And that's the fun and part of this podcast. Yeah. And it's both. a failure because of it. So that's yeah. why that's is interesting. Now we, let's we should do some more movies, by the way, Mike, that have great marketing. Like perfect marketing. We'll get we'll we'll get a couple of those at some point. Um, but let's move on to now our rating for the movie overall. Like now that the marketing's out of the way, we can judge it on its own terms as a movie. I will let Cody go last. Um, okay, you, I'll, I'll be quick. It was pretty mid for me. I can't punish it just because it's not my type of movie. Just judging it on its merits and what it is, I could I could easily give it like a four or five. I think the the storytelling, like I said, is the weakest part of this film. It n- desperately needed a rewrite. The visual effects, for the most part, looked pretty good. There were a lot of great sprawling shots. I liked the cowboy stuff in the beginning. The acting wasn't horrible. I just think that it it needed a it definitely needed a rewrite. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, I think I'm gonna land on a solid four out of ten. Uh, I think that not even just like oh, it's not my kind of movie. I could totally get into a movie of this genre of this uh, caliber, and I also feel like it's kind of this is seeing this movie is like in my head what I had dreaded what Dune would be. Like I was worried. I'm like this is just gonna be like this very long boring mentally exhausted like it drags like like too much lore too much alien gleep glop and dune it's still very dense but it managed to streamline it in a way that i found it to be palatable most definitely which this movie they throw you right into it as if you know what john carter is and all the lore and the and the worlds and the history and the backstory and i was very lost a lot of the action is not very exciting honestly um and uh some of the, yeah like I said some of the effects it, it's passable but it's like nothing that's wowing me like nothing that makes the special effects like this is a a selling point of the movie um I thought Taylor Kitsch is a very on un- unappealing lead like he's very bland and yeah, and, were, and also the the death nail for this guy's career because a couple months later he's in Battleship and it's like the one two punch of this and Battleship which also was a notorious bomb kind of ruined his chances like he came out like he was. Uh, he was like on Friday Night Lights for a while and that was like his big claim to fame. And then he stars in X-Men Origins Wolverine as Gambit. And also let's do the Taylor <laughs> Kitsch trilogy. This X-Men Origins Wolverine and Titan or not. Or I'm sorry. In Battleship. Yeah. <laughs> Rice uh, Almighty. Fun fact. The actress playing Deja Thoris is in X-Men also, Origins Wolverine. Yes, also in X-Men Origins Wolverine. Wow. And I just also want to point out, I didn't mention this earlier, it's very weird that this movie was going for the teen boy demographic, but there are clearly shots in this movie that were made for, like, thirst posting on Tumblr. There's a lot of scenes of him chained up, shirtless, sweaty, long hair. I'm like, Jesus and no they they knew they had a handsome man on their hands like i feel like this is like kind of what they do with thor now where it's yeah, like definitely. thor is a sexy hot aquaman guy. yeah they, i feel like jason momoa would be playing uh john carter if that came out now. i would prefer jason momoa in this role you're, you're too intimidated by my rating <laughs> oh, no. we're scared you know cody because quick rip it off like a band-aid 10 10 out of 10 Wow! If I wish that I had like a bowling alley uh, animation for that, like just for like, <laughs> I love this movie so much. I loved it in 2012. I loved it even more for this rewatch. This is the type of movie that was made for me. This is the type of movie that I would have eaten up as a kid. Like, get out of the way, Pirates of the Caribbean. This is my trilogy I needed as a kid. And it was just 
so impressive to go through um all the critiques you guys had like i said before is basically positives from me i really enjoyed the pacing of it i love the uh epic feel that it had i for the most part really enjoyed the cgi and it would all stay together and whatnot i love when a film makes you feel confused because it makes you want to work for it. And I think even when you don't fully understand the terminology, the story there still is still supported so that you can like, you don't need it on the first go around, but after a few viewings, you can totally understand it. Mm -hmm. This is also probably the last Disney blockbuster that they actually put any thought into their production. Like the tattoos that all the heliumites had like for deja thoris and whatnot all of their tattoos were multi-layered so that inside the tattoos they actually had martian script no that's a lot of attention to detail a lot yeah, of so it's it's kind of, crazy. Lot of attention to detail levels. yeah because of that i think is why i love it like that what everyone says of star wars this is what this is my star wars this is something that i would love to just obsess over and rewatch and enjoy the lore. Even like it's, it's the whole thing with star Wars where like in the very, very first one, you get hints about stuff. You don't really know what it is, but you're like, Oh, I can create that continuity in my head. And that's what I can do with John Carter. And I think that's really, really fun. I think that's really, really cool. John Carter is over a hundred years old at this point. It was a hundred years old when it came out. It was the original male power fantasy to the point where a nobody schmuck got on Mars, had superpowers. And one thing that's not in any media ad- adapted from John Carter's, so like not in the comics, not in the movies, obviously, but like the one thing that is um, like, the peak male fantasy is that everyone is naked on Mars in the books. There is no clothes. <laughs> it's just ornaments and metal and new bodies. And you're having a great time with that. And Disney I think would never they would, they, they have no balls to think that Disney was able to get something out of the basically original male power fantasy and make it that adaptable, that, interested that not only would appeal to boys but i think women and small girls would get behind deja thoris in this i think there is a big market in the john carter universe that was presented here and because of the powers that be at disney decided to kill it i am very excited and happy with what we got and i think it's very satisfactory so i'm giving it a 10 out of 10 I'm glad that you have this uh, attachment to the movie. I'm glad that you got to have your uh, series represented on screen uh, again. And I feel like a lot of people have that. I feel like people have discovered this movie and have taken away like, you know, some sort of cult following from it. And I totally appreciate that, even though I'm not part of that. Almost definitely. Yeah. But anyway, so yeah, so that is the conclusion of our big epic John Carter episode. I'm surprised uh, that we've, we, we made it through it and we, I feel like we've got everything that we needed to say out of it. And uh, this is going to be a a hefty one. Uh, And I thank you, Cody, for all the research that you did, uh, the books that you read and uh, joining us on this episode to detail all the history and everything about this series that we would not have known otherwise. So 
thank you again for joining us. Cody, Where- what was what was the name of that book again? One more time, give that book a plug. So it's going to be John Carter and the Gods of Hollywood by Michael D. Sellers. Definitely check that out. I'm I'm gonna I'm gonna read it. Yeah. So Cody, where plug up? Where can people find you on the internet if they want to follow any of uh, all of your stuff? All righty. So uh, I mentioned it earlier in the episode, but I do some film writing now and again. And with Random Movie Roulette's website out of the picture, I decided to go back to the Film Assist blog, which you can find at filmassist.wordpress.com. Um, right now, I'm mostly putting on all my effort into getting all the writing I've done outside of Film Assist and putting it back onto the website. Um, but I am doing a few originals, like um, I recently talked about the best streaming services. I'm planning on doing an essay on Willy Wonka and how the um, like the first time you walk into the chocolate factory and it's pure imagination. I want to do an essay on how that's the most depressing scene in Hollywood. So I have um, that coming out in September. You can follow me on Twitter if you so wish at the Whisper of C, and you can check out my Letterboxd, which is I believe just my name, Cody Enos E N O S. I do some fun stuff there, like um, reviewing John Carter and stuff. I have a list of all the movies I own and all the uh, 3D movies I own. I do random lists like the best Jurassic Park movies ranked, which is controversial because I have Fallen Kingdom as number two. Ooh, hot uh, takes. As long as the first one's at number one, that's fine. Uh, but anyway, uh, so uh, Anthony, you want to go take yours away? Uh, you know, I, I just kind of uh, I'm off the grid at this All point. Right. I used to have that old uh, Instagram, but I don't really use it All anymore. Right. You can follow me on my personal Slavoj, it's S L A V O J underscore vibe check. If you get the joke, it's it, it'll get a chuckle. Yeah, right. uh, and you can follow me at the Kino Man on uh, Twitter and Instagram. You can follow my letterbox at Mike Pisicano. Uh, you can follow this show on Cinema Marketing Podcast on Instagram and Cinema Market Pod on Twitter. Uh, on those social media sites is where uh, I post all of the things that will be included in the episode uh, as a little prelude. To what we have i also put in some fun little jokes i retweet memes related to the movie i make some dolly images uh related to the movie uh I yeah, made... as long as you don't start making little miss posts i'm okay with yeah. it uh but yeah so so you can follow us there that's where you'll keep up to date on when uh the episodes come out uh also at the beginning and end of every month uh me and anthony and lewis do uh market research where we very fun where podcast we, yeah where we uh detail all of the significant movie news that came out uh, in the month. Uh, so we should have the August episode should be out at the point that you're listening yeah. to this. That's the one where we shit post and meme a lot. So if you want to laugh, it's also a very yeah. fun show to listen to. Yeah. Every episode we just dunk on Morbius. And, <laughs> uh, and, I, I, and by Marvel. the way, I just want to do a little side. I tried watching Morbius on a plane. Even on a plane, I got 10 minutes in when this is so stupid. Yeah. And I, I decided to look out the window instead. I had more fun with that. Cody, do you own Morbius? Is that a Morbius comic that you're showing me right now? It is. Oh, I collect boy. the Amazing Spider-Man omnibuses, and uh, one of them is during the time where Morbius is introduced, and that's the cover image. And I just love that image of Morbius bitch-slapping Spider-Man, and I wanted to show it to you. <laughs> that, um, it's pretty cool. It's, it's a shame that the movie was nowhere near as cool. 
Yeah, if only Mar- Marvel could have the balls to let Jared Leto smack Tom Holland. I would be so into that. Oh, and then again, I, I'd want to keep him away from young people as much as possible. That's also um, very true. Yuck. <laughs> All right. So thanks for listening to our episode on John Carter. And I'll leave you with a little teaser for what the next movie will be. And you can get excited for that in the next coming months. So take care. Goodbye. Coming soon to theaters. After years as America's hottest TV stars, the Rugrats have gone Hollywood. Paramount Pictures presents, in association with Nickelodeon Movies, the most gigantic, goopiest, mind-boggling adventure of the season. As the best-loved little babies on TV... I smell trouble. ...take over the big screen. <laughs> the Rugrats movie. Where do you get these crazy ideas? Coming to theaters Thanksgiving 1998.